Hey, it's at the letters for Thursday, December 10th. Arden Swelling and Ben Nicholson-Smith. Our producers are Christian Ryan and Mike Tassoni. This is, of course, Sports.ca's Blue Jays podcast. Ben, you know, the buzzwordification, I'll say, of baseball has been, you know, increasing steadily uh, for years and years and years. But I feel like it has never, it's reached a peak, really this offseason because of the lack of activity so you see club presidents and gms and assistant gms and whoever kind of like you know pushed out and in front of the cameras and microphones to talk about the moves they have not made and that is why you end up hearing a lot about momentum and time frames and understanding opportunities and listening intently alternatives <laughs> proceeding uh with discipline you know it's like it just feels like sometimes you're like just forever on hold with the customer service department of like a big box store like an airline it is really because nothing has happened and yet there are still all of these availabilities and people who are trying to make moves and who are you know trying to game their quote-unquote opponents in other front offices don't want to give anything up and don't want to sacrifice a strategic advantage, but still have to come out and say something to the fans of this game, which is why you end up with this like very, very vague jargon that we're hearing so much of. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's a funny contrast to the season, right? Where you talk to a player, you know, after a big game, there's a very clear kind of line of questioning or a manager before and after a game. There's something very concrete that you're talking about and yeah. referring to. And in this case, I mean, I, I know the Jays made a couple of, waiver claims and they lost a minor league player in the rule five draft but essentially they did nothing <laughs> concrete or tangible at the winter meetings now that's not to say they didn't do work behind the scenes you and i know and our listeners know they did do work behind the scenes and that will lead to different moves but yeah there's nothing concrete to show for it they're not standing there at the front of the podium you know on, with the blue jays backdrop behind them cameras flashing like that's just it's not, not the reality of it and that's not a toronto blue jays problem it's a problem for Major League Baseball is their fans don't necessarily have a lot of concrete uh, news to think about or, or talk about right now. But you look across baseball, and this is the case for almost every fan base right now. I mean, with the exception of a few pitchers who have signed, basically nothing has happened in this winter, right? And even the highlight, if you want to call it that, of the winter meetings was James McCann almost signing with the Mets not <laughs> signing with the Mets but almost <laughs> signing with the Mets yeah Lance Lynn I guess being traded right. um yeah it was like the big banner move but also calling it the winter meetings this year is almost a bit of a misnomer because it's still not entirely clear to me how this week was any different from any other week this year and like maybe you can kind of take us into what like a typical winter meetings would be like at whatever resort or you know luxury hotel that that would you know that they would hold these things at like you know the the last four days you and I have just like sat at our computers how you know and and I'm sure that you know across baseball executives have just sat at their computers and been yep. on phones That's right. I, you know what would it typically be like and what what was this year's winter meetings even was it even a thing yeah, I kind of agree with you. I don't think it was a thing. I mean, I right. think it was just another week. I feel way less burnt out than I normally <laughs> would at the end of a winter meetings. And uh, yeah, just uh, not not that I haven't been working. It's just a different kind of work. I'm, you're not on your feet as much. Normally in the course of a winter meetings, I would be standing in a hotel lobby for hours on end. And it, so it sounds 
just as kind of demoralizing as it is. Um, you're just standing in the lobby of this really fancy hotel and you're just kind of waiting around to observe. You want to be well positioned, obviously. As you know, Arden, I mean, we have different obligations in the day. You have to go to this media avail or do this TV hit. So the lobby is kind of central for those purposes. And then additionally, you're able to run into people and chat to them. And it's, it's actually fun. I mean, that's kind of one of the things that I've reflected on this year is, you know, it's just those little conversations, you know, for five minutes with someone, you catch up a little bit, maybe there's someone with a team or someone with an agency, you, they might not necessarily have the top free agent that year. But if you know them a little bit, you can chat. And it, I'm not going to set up a Zoom call or phone that person and, you know, just cold call them to replace that. It just doesn't get replaced. And so the flow of information is totally different. I suspect for teams as well, because, you know, this year, and, and if you're on a computer or on a phone, you can be much more controlled in the kind of information that you give up. Whereas if you're in person with someone and, you know, you can kind of just bounce different things. And I don't mean in a really malicious way or in a, in a conniving way. Like I'm not trying to fool people if I ask them a question, but I'm, I'm a curious person about baseball. I want to know different things. So I'll ask people questions if I see them in person and the reaction that they'll give you on their face, like you can kind of tell like, oh, they've been thinking about that or, oh, this is totally catching them off guard. There's nothing going on there. And again, I'm not trying to do that in some sort of malicious way, but there's just more information that's exchanged. And that happens between teams. That happens from agent to agent, team to agent. So I think that there would just, in a normal year, way more information would flow. And a lot of that is unintentional. And a lot of the fun in that is trying to capture more information than you're giving up. I presume if you're you know, an agent, that's your job. If you're a team, that's your job. You cannot afford to have these information leaks. And that's partly why these availabilities with these GMs are kind of stale. They're doing that deliberately. Like they could tell us a lot more. You know, they have the information. They're just choosing to withhold it. Yeah, there's no advantage to them putting that information out there. And I think yeah. what's lost this year is those little five-minute happenstance like meetings with somebody Whereas now it's like, okay, now you got to text that person, but you are one of, you know, 25 people who have texted that guy today or maybe a hundred people. And you are just like in the queue of text messages to be responded to, right? Instead of just like running into somebody, oh, hey, can I like bounce this off of you? And like you said, yeah, when somebody's sort of like writing out a response, they're, you know, they'll be a lot more guarded and a lot more measured. Whereas if there is kind of an exchange of ideas, you're just bouncing things back and forth, maybe something comes up that wouldn't have otherwise like, yeah, it is a very different dynamic. Um, but like, here's, you know, another thing that I know about the Blue Jays and I know about this industry right now is that if you or I or anybody, you know, who reports on the team texts basically any agent of an available player on the market and asks, have the Blue Jays checked in on this player? the answer is going to be yes. Mm -hmm. And then you can take that information and write yourself a headline. Yeah, <laughs> and say, that's right. Blue Jays have checked in on player X. Yeah. You know, Blue Jays have asked about player Y. You know, and you could even go further and say, oh, well, like, have they kind of like gauged, you know, numbers? And like, have they asked like what expectations are for salary and term? And the answer is probably going to be yes. Blue Jays have talked numbers with player X. Like Blue Jays have, you know, so... You can put that out there and then it will get aggregated and 15 other places will take that information and create their own content about it. So now you got 16 headlines about this thing every day, the different player, 
And as a fan, if you are, you know, on your phone all the time, consuming all of this content, maybe it's just popping up in your notifications all the time. It feels like, man, why are the Blue Jays being linked to everybody? Like they're not, you know, what is any of this real? Are they actually going to do something? Like what is going on here? I mean, this is just the process. They have, they have checked in on literally hundreds of players. Um, this is just what they do. This is understanding your opportunities and understanding where there is alignment. That's what's happening. So like, I feel like, you know, I understand why fans are kind of frustrated with, you know, this deluge of rumors. I mean, sometimes you just kind of have to like remove yourself from it and just like let things play out and, and come back to it when there's something real and concrete and tangible that has happened. Or if you enjoy the roller coaster and you enjoy the ride, like, dive in <laughs> like go on like ride go ride those ups and downs man but we kind of talked about this a couple podcasts ago that this was going to happen you know like blue jays going to be linked to a whole lot of players right. and they aren't going to sign every one of them they aren't going to trade for every one of them and some of the interest is going to be more real than others they aren't going to get super far down the road with all of them but it, you know you can link the blue jays to honestly any player on the free agent market because they have talked to all of them yeah it was actually i was really surprised the other day I um, reached out to an agent for a free agent player and I said, Hey, just, you know, wondering between us, like what's, what's going on is should, should I have this on my radar? And he, he actually said no. So there's <laughs> at least one free agent that the blue Jays have not checked down. I'm not going to say who it was, but there is one free agent that is not on the blue Jays radar just about everyone else though. Okay. They check. And it's like, it's honestly, it's more noteworthy when they have not been in touch. So that's yeah. the, world that we're in right now and I, I agree with you i mean i totally agree that fans have every right to be you know frustrated by the slow pace especially because this is pretty unusual when compared to years past i mean you go back five ten years the winter meetings really would have been the hub even last year garrett cole signing with the yankees that's a obviously a really big move steven strasberg going back to the nets so it is slower than usual this year and I understand that frustration, and I, I would say just prepare for, prepare for the long haul. Expect it to go into January. Yeah, there's a few factors at play here, and we've talked about a lot of them on previous episodes. Like, I feel like the biggest factor in the sort of stasis of the market right now is just that it's a buyer's market, and it's just that there's, there's a real surplus of supply and not that many people demanding it, right? Not that many shoppers. So you're not going to rush out to, to snatch something up. You know, like you can afford to slow play this market and you can kind of leave the ball in the player's court and wait for them to, to come to you. Baseball, like for the free agent market and really baseball in general, like it's just a big game of leverage, you know, like who has it, who can use it to their advantage. Players want the largest guarantees possible teams want to make the smallest commitments possible and it's like a bit of a game of chicken until you meet somewhere in the middle so the thing right now is teams have the leverage because there's so much supply and not a ton of demand so they're not going to throw out their best offer right now uh like the blue jays have not thrown out their best offers to like top free agents there's no reason for them to do that right now um, you, don't, you don't think they would have at all i, w I wonder about that we just spoke to Ross Atkins earlier today and he said they haven't put out their best offers. So that's what I'm basing that okay. off of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I mean, I, I bet they're pretty close. Sure. But I, I don't see what the, I don't see why they would go, you know, to their absolute limit right now. Like why they would go to their absolute walkaway point right now with like it being one of the few buyers. Like, think about like who else is buying in this market? The Mets, the Blue Jays, 
Maybe Eagles? the Angels, yeah. They come to mind. Maybe the Giants for some players, right? Maybe Washington. But like the only like definite buyers, Blue Jays and Mets. And yeah. then there's like kind of a second tier there of and like the Yankees are a buyer, but only yeah. for very specific players. It's like DJ right? LeMahieu and they need a couple of pitchers. Because yeah. their rotation's like empty. They have nothing in their rotation now. The Blue Jays and Mets, the two teams that are considering like everyone. And because there is a Springer and a LeMahieu and a Real Muto and a Bauer, like because there are so many kind of top tier options, those teams can afford to slow play it. Unfortunately for fans, unfortunately for us, we want to have something concrete to talk about. But and look, players know that as well, right? Like players and their representation understand how teams are approaching this. So they're going to wait around until the offers improve. You know, at some point, something's got to give. Uh, at some point, you know, spring training starting, or at some point, even, and this is unfortunate, like as a player, like your spouse and your family is like, hey, where are we living next year? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, We'd like to have some clarity on that. Like, well, I got to get these kids into school somewhere. And that's the way it's probably going to be in this market is that like the players are ultimately going to have to give. And, you know, it's unfortunate for them. But to this point, nothing's given yet. Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, there is a lot of skepticism on the part of some agents that I've spoken to where it's like, you know, are, are these teams ever going to spend like, are they just trying to slow play it and trying to, you know, essentially bleed us dry to the point that the players end up taking deals that are less than favorable? Certainly history would indicate that once you get past the new year, you do start to see some more bargains. But at the same time, agents are aware of the fact that teams are trying to do that. So it's like you said, you get into these leverage games. And at a certain point, if you want to sign a top player, I do think those top, top guys are going to require really big commitments. Um, and some of the, you know, even bigger than some of the commitments predicted at places like Fangraphs or MLB Trade Rumors. You know, you look at a guy like LeMahieu, I think was predicted at Fangraphs for like 30 million. And I mean, that's way short. You might, might want to add another 50 or, or 70 million onto that. And, and Liam Hendricks was predicted around 30 million at MLB trade rumors and fan graphs. I think you have to add at least 10 to that. So I think there are some guys that'll do well despite these concerns and despite an industry that is truly going through a, a difficult period, no question about that. And then probably crying poor, disproportionate to those struggles as well. But I, I think the top guys will get paid late in the winter. You are going to see a lot of bargains in my opinion. I think that when it comes to those top guys, it's still easy to see a path to the Blue Jays landing one of them. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, they outbid the Mets uh, for George Springer. Seems unlikely, but could always happen. And we understand that they are, you know, involved with, with him. And obviously the Mets are as well. But, you know, say the Mets land Springer and then they sign James McCann to be their catcher. And DJ LeMahieu returns to the Yankees as most expect him to. All of a sudden, you know, uh, Real Muto is kind of like looking around like, hey, who's still got money? And the Blue Jays are standing there with their bag of money, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and all of a sudden it, it makes sense. And, you know, maybe in that scenario, the Angels spend what they have to spend on Trevor Bauer. Right. right. And like, you know, it's just with the amount of, you know, like the Blue Jays might not get their top priority. They might not get the guy they really, really want. But, yeah. I, you know, there's a very clear pathway to getting somebody of like some pretty you know exceptional like a pretty good player yeah. here for the blue jays like to the point where like i'll almost be surprised if they don't come away at this point with one of the top names on the market yeah they have definitely a lot of pathways to that it's real like the as much as there is that skepticism and i'm sure some people listening feel that and that's again totally fair 
I mean, I think the Blue Jays are, are going to be a much better team by the time they report to spring training, whatever that is. I think they're going to be a lot better. And, you know, you could look at it in a few different ways. I don't, my, if I had to guess, this is so, we're going to enter this speculation portion of ATL yeah. right here, right? But um, we have nothing real to talk about. So. Right. So <laughs> we're, let's, let's speculate. Ross Atkins <laughs> isn't going to do it. So someone has to. Or he's not going to do it on the record. Yeah. Um, I'm sure he does behind the scenes. So George Springer, he's from Connecticut. Like, you would imagine the Mets are his number one team. And the Mets are very much in that mix as well with the Blue Jays. So to me, I think best case, the Jays are Springer's number two pick. So if you're the Blue Jays, you're really hoping that the Mets spend on Bauer and you know maybe Real Muto, James McCann, spend on anyone but Springer. But that being said, there seems to be a real chance that Springer goes to the Mets. Then you start looking at LeMahieu. Kind of the same thing with the Yankees. I think LeMahieu's probably going to go back to the Yankees. I get the sense that the Blue Jays are a real factor there, but I don't think they're better than his third choice. I think maybe there is, you know, maybe the Mets are that number two choice for LeMahieu. Maybe the Jays are number three. Now, that's not bad. There are 30 teams in baseball, and you never know how things are going to break, but I don't think they're the number one choice for LeMahieu. Then you get to someone like Real Muto, and for a while, you know, I, I was talking to people within the industry this week as the McCann to the Mets rumors started happening. And I was like, where does this leave Real Muto? Because the Mets seemed like, you know, a, a really good fit for him on paper. And the responses that I was getting were like, we have no idea. Like there's, it's really hard to peg him. And that's kind of go, goes back to what you were saying. Where does that open up a door to the Jays? Now, right before we recorded this, see the news that Dave Dombrowski is likely to be the Phillies new president. That would seem what? to be, you didn't see that? <laughs> I haven't seen it this. Just just happened. Yeah, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. And if I am JT Realmuto, I am very, very happy about that news because it would seem to open up the Phillies as a possible destination for Realmuto. Huh. Yeah, yeah, Dave Dombrowski doesn't usually go somewhere where he's not going to have a bunch of money to spend. No, and right? he spends it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that that, that is... That is interesting. Very, I did not. Yeah, I did not know that is very interesting. Yeah. All right. Well. All right. Well. I don't know. We got to wait to learn some more about that. Right. Yeah. If if that means the Phillies are you know entering the market, um, that changes things. It would. Yeah. So then, okay. So let's say the Phillies sign Real Muto. Let's say they they you know Dombrowski comes in and brings him back. Yeah. So you still got Trevor Bauer. I know you know people probably have mixed opinions about him, but he is a very good pitcher. Maybe the, I feel like maybe the Angels goes, are the fit there for Bauer. Yeah, honestly. I think they are. So let's say he goes to the Angels. Yeah. So now you're the Blue Jays and you're, you've quote unquote missed out on four <laughs> really good players, right? And yeah. the fans, if this happens in this order, Blue oh. Jays fans are not going to be happy. They are Ben's not, not be checking happy. his mentions that no, week. I barely yeah. do now. I'm sorry to anyone who <laughs> tweets at me, but it's just, it's, you got to be selective. Um, but even in that situation, and I'm not trying to be like, I'm not trying to be like this Jays apologist here. Yeah, they just are in a good position because they're willing to spend and there are a lot of good players out there. So th they actually just are in a good position. And so even in that situation, they can get Francisco Lindor. I mean, you, you can trade Lourdes Gurriel Jr. And I don't know, Gabriel Moreno and Adam Klofenstein. And maybe that gets you Lindor, you know, or, you know, let's say the Mets get him too. Then, all right, maybe it's Tanaka. The Mets are going to be good <laughs> the Mets in this scenario. Man, the Mets, there's no reason the Mets shouldn't be good. The Mets should be, like, they're in on everyone. Like, of course they should be good. But in, even in that situation, mm. all right, you sign Michael Brantley for two years, 30. You sign Tanaka for 45 over yeah. three. You sign Colton Wong for 12 over one. 
you sign Brad Hand for 26 over two, and there's your winter. Like, that's not bad. And I'm, and I'm totally making this up, and it wouldn't be all of the above, but I'm just saying, like, there are a lot of pathways here. And so if you break through that executive speak, I kind of think this is what Ross Atkins is telling us here. He's, he's not naming the names, but he, basically what he's saying is, we like Springer, we like LeMayhew, we like Real Muto, we like Lindor, we're in on all of those guys. We hope to get one of them. And if we don't, we're going to add some other pretty good players. Like, that's my read on what Ross Atkins is actually telling us. Yeah, there's a, like, it wouldn't be a bad outcome for the Blue Jays if they ended up, you know, yeah, you get Justin Turner to play third base and uh, yeah, might add Michael Brantley to the outfield, yeah. to sign like a Jake Odorizzi to, you know, pitch out of your rotation and Liam Hendricks for your bullpen. And you just kind of spread your money around and you get, you know, instead of all of your like impact on your win expectancy being kind of contained in one player, it's in a number of players, you know, you're probably going to get better value. You're going to be better protected against possible injury or against underperformance or again, I don't know, somebody getting COVID or whatever. Uh, like it, yeah, totally. It's going to be a tough sell for a lot of fans. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, it's probably not going to go over too well with a lot of people, but yeah, it, absolutely. Or hey, man, maybe you end up trading for Sonny Gray, right? Right. Or, um, Carlos Carrasco, like, or you sign Hassan Kim or Sagano, or you know, there there are a lot of Jackie Bradley Juniors out there. Um, yeah. James Paxton, like, there there are a lot of good players. Um, totally, the Jays are going to get some of those good players. Like, I am very someone, uh, you know, to, going back to your social media comment there, we'll get comments where it's like, you know, Jays are doing nothing. They're not going to do anything. I'm like. Do you actually think the Blue Jays are going to do nothing? <laughs> like, they're going to improve this team. That's very clear. We don't yeah. know what shape that's going to take. It might not be the player that you think is good, Arden, or it might not be a player that I think is the best fit for this team, but they're going to add established major leaguers to this club. And it's important to remember, like, that they don't have to do everything this winter. Like, this is just one opportunity to add talent and to get better. You know, they'll have another opportunity at the trade deadline, and then they'll have another, like, next off season. So they don't have to, like, complete the team <laughs> this winter. Right. Like, they'll still add pieces throughout. Like, this right. is just one opportunity where there are a number of, you know, the players who are not currently attached to teams. They're free agents. So it's just one opportunity to add those guys. But, like, you almost have to remind people that, the terms um, like going all in or we're going for it. That's not how they operate. So like, it's not going to, you know, it, this, this doesn't have to be like the be all and end all. Look, if you have some money to spend this winter, like typically like if ownership gives you some money to spend, you want to spend that money. Right. They might take it away. <laughs> you know what I mean? They kind of get the sense like that's the Mets front office right now is like, hey, we got a bunch of money, like spend it, spend it, spend it, spend it, spend it. Spend it. You know, like you might yeah. take it back. Uh, so you, you certainly want to go out and, and like add some players and spend your money, but it's not, you could very easily just like kick the shortstop thing down the road to next winter when there's a whole bunch of really good shortstops on the market. You know, you could trade for Francisco Lindor right now. Great. If you can extend them, if you don't have a certainty that you're going to be able to extend them, maybe you don't want to up your Goriel or your girl winter when he's free agent, right? <laughs> and, or you talk to Corey Seager or talk to Carlos Carrasco or like uh, talk to Carlos Correa, excuse me. Uh, you know, whoever might be out there on that shortstop market, you know, or like paper over with a Marcus Simeon or, hey, I don't know, maybe Bo Bichette could be your shortstop. It's right. 22-year-old, like <laughs> yeah. really good young player. Yeah, yeah. Like all he's done in the big leagues is crush pitching. There are a number of avenues and routes that the Blue Jays can take here, and there's really no reason for them to kind of like go barreling down one of them. They can slow play this and see how it plays out. Yeah, that's how it's happened so far. What do you think? Am I being, am I being overly kind of 
I guess, optimistic when it comes to what the Jays are going to do. I just, I just think that no. like, yeah, like they're going to add to this team. Like there is Absolutely. a 0% chance that those two waiver claims are the, <laughs> you know, yeah. are the highlight of this offseason. They're going to add in significant ways. Absolutely. For sure. It just might not be tomorrow, you know? No, like yeah. the, there's, there's no need for them to put a time frame on the offers that they make and say, hey, you got to get back to us on this right. in, you know, a few days or whatever. Like there's no, there's no need for the, the one like market that actually has like a bit of a deadline is those posted players, right? So it is like the, the Hassan Kims, the Sagano, and, you know, Arihara and like guys from Japan. Like there actually is a deadline there. Like Hassan Kim, we will know which MLB team he is playing for by 2021. Or he will just go back to the KBO if he doesn't. But it sounds like he's going to figure something out by like January first. Yeah, January first, twenty twenty one. Like we will know, like because there is there is a deadline there, right? I think Sagano's is January seventh or something like that. Like it's very yeah. early in in the new year. So you know that you can't slow play that market. Like that's right. either like you're in or you're not. And I think there's very real interest for the Blue Jays with Hassan Kim, and it's like he's a guy who would like. I think they should, you know, I came into this offseason like arguing for two dudes, Real Muto and Hassan Kim. And like, I haven't moved off of that position. I think those two guys would be great additions. With Hassan Kim, it's the age, it's the versatility, it's the athleticism, it's the fact that he appears to still be getting better and still be developing. Um, and it's the fact that the Blue Jays are, you know, they can afford it. So why not? Yeah. I mean, you wrote about this this week at sportsnet.ca and uh, kind of covered off some of those reasons and why it's hard to really evaluate and predict what these yeah. guys are likely to bring or what the Blue Jays can expect or count on, but they've done a lot of work. And, you know, Ross Atkins was telling us just a few minutes ago that some of the front office for the Blue Jays, Ryan Middleman and Andrew Tinnish, have done a lot of work on those guys to make sure that they're prepared. So there's real interest there. I would expect that there'll be real conversations, at least on Kim, probably on Sagano too, to see if there's a fit and see if that interest is reciprocated. Oh yeah, the Blue Jays scouts love Kim. Like they like like the athleticism. They love the the versatility. Like he's a quick twitch guy. Like he swings like a Blue Jay. You know, like he's got like a leg kick. He's got like a big load and it's like a ton of power in the swing. Um, and yeah, they've done a ton of work on him. So you know, yeah, I think the Blue Jays are gonna be involved. I think the where it comes down with Kim is just like the value, right? The Blue Jays are all about value. Like what? So they're they're gonna before they even engage with them, know like what they will be willing to offer him what their absolute maximum is, what their walkaway point is. They'll have all those values understood. And when you're, you mentioned the difficulty of projecting a guy coming over from KBO and, you know, 25 year old shortstops are never on the free agent market. So so there's just zero comparables for the guy. The value could be all over the place from team to team. Like there might be a team out there that like goes nuts, right. And gives them a a ton of money. You know, like we kind of saw that a little bit with Moustakis last year. The Blue Jays were in on Moustakis, but like, Everybody in the league got blown out of the water, which is fine, right? But that might happen with Kim as well, where a team just, you know, the values just might be all over the place. And the Blue Jays are so disciplined with theirs and so willing to walk away from those opportunities that that might be what happens. But, you know, Blue Jays like him. And yeah, he would be a, he's an obvious fit with this yeah. club. He's a, he is a half year younger than Kevin Biggio. Wild, man. Like, like yeah. you know, he's still getting better. Like, he's not, he's a piece for, for a long time to come so and we we saw last year you know the blue jays like have made inroads on the asian market right like shun yamaguchi coming over rafael dolis was scouted in npb and you know signed as a free agent like that's a market where the blue jays see some opportunities you know where they want to be active in acquiring talent among many right this team's in on everyone it's, it's crazy but <laughs> it's, it's seemingly true 
Let's take a break, but when we continue, we'll talk about Vlad Jr., talk about relievers, and we'll talk about much more when we continue on At The Letters. It continues on at the letters Ben Nicholson Smith, Arden Zwelling, our producers are Christian Ryan and Mike Tassoni. Ben, you and uh, Shai had the report a couple of days ago up on sportsnet.ca. The Blue Jays are uh, dipping their toes into the uh, some more like offseason vernacular, <laughs> dipping their toes. They're listening aggressively. They're listening you know, ex- aggressively. That's a good one, right? Expressing interest. A in- little oxymoronic, I think, but we'll, we'll let it slide. <laughs> Well, yeah, you're always listening um, at all times. You're never not listening in the the kind of the high end of of the relief market, which would be somewhat of a shift for this front office. Not usually the case that they kind of splash some money around in the relief market. They kind of usually look for, you know, guys in that one year, maybe two years, but like two to three million dollars a year type of tier kind of sounds like you guys believe they might be, uh, you know, investing a bit more heavily in that area. They seem ready to. Yeah, they seem ready to. Whether they do or not is another question. But those guys, I mean, you think about Hendricks, Bradham, they're the best relievers out there. They're not going to be cheap. And the Blue Jays appear to be engaging seriously with them. So that's, you know, if you're if you're having those kind of conversations where you're indicating a, a willingness to be in that market, um, am I sounding too much like a, like the baseball executives who just made fun of? Yes. Sorry, Sorry to our listeners. But um, I, see, here I am not, trying not to say too much and get myself in trouble. But mm. um, understand your opportunity then. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But Look, yeah. here's, here's my thing. All right. Yes. I, like, I feel like personally, I am philosophically opposed to paying for like upper tier relief pitching in free agency. Like it is so seldom that you see those types of deals work out unless you were talking about like an oldest Chapman or like right. Craig Kimbrell, like the best of the best creme de la creme, the best like closers in the game, you know, like the, the biggest relief signing last winter would have been Will Smith. Yep. And he had a four and a half ERA this season and like a huge drop in his strikeout rate. You know, Dylan Batances was a disaster for the Mets. The familiar deal with the Mets doesn't look great. The St. Louis Cardinals just got done paying Brett Cecil, a guy who hasn't pitched since 2018. They were paying him this year. You know, talk to the Rockies about that offseason when oh, they went out Jake and McGee got, and right? Wade Davis, Wade Davis yeah. Brian Shaw. Like, talk to them about how that turned out. Like, there is just, you know, it's everything in, in baseball is risk-reward. But, geez, the risk is high when, when you're dabbling in that market. It is. But if you have the chance to acquire Liam Hendricks for a third time, <laughs> are you are you really going to pass that up? Um, yeah, the Jays, of course, have acquired him twice. They've traded him away each time. So they have a chance to, to add him another time. Hendricks is great. I mean, he's he is better now than he's ever been. He throws 100 miles an hour. He strikes out, or this past season, he struck out 12 times as many hitters as he walked. Like, he was nasty. Right up until the end in those playoff games, uh, I think it was against Houston, where the A's were were playing. He was so good. So he's a great pitcher. And even if you look at it through a war lens in the last couple of seasons, and this is obviously including a short in 2020, he's been worth like a combined five war since 2019. Like that's a lot. I'm not saying he'll do that going forward, but he's really, really good. I think that 
if you're looking at ways of making your team better, you have to have that conversation. And I, you know, I, I don't think that, and this is my impression from talking to people in the game, like, I, I don't think that signing one of those guys or signing like a bit of a step change from the, you know, Joe Smith, you know, JP Howell, one year, $3 million, like, it's not going to prevent them from pursuing top position players. But Hendricks is a great example like of the volatility of relief pitching, right? Like Liam Hendricks is like, I don't know how many times he's been DFA'd, but I'm, it's got to be four or five in his <laughs> career, right? Like for, for real, right? He's, he's been DFA'd by the Oakland Athletics, who he was like pitching so well for these last couple. And like, by the way, you mentioned that the the playoff games, I, I, I think it might have been in the wild card round where he had an outing where he threw like 49 pitches. Yeah. And he came back on zero days rest and touched 100. Oh, man. Like, yeah. I, but like, I remember watching <laughs> that and just being like, they are going to break this guy. Like, yeah. what is going on here? And you even look at the usage throughout his time in Oakland. Like, they were not shy about using him a lot. Like, he was up over 80 innings pitched in, in 2019. Like, they used him a lot. So like, they're out, there's warning flags there with me, right? Like, look, when you're talking about a reliever, you are always talking about, to a certain extent, sort of tampered goods, right? Because, like, either this guy's a reliever because he couldn't stay healthy or he couldn't, you know, maintain his velocity well enough to start or he couldn't locate, like, whatever it is. So, like, and, and the way relievers get used sometimes in the big leagues, uh, you know, John, as John Gibbons would say, abused, you know, you look at some of that usage and I know one thing the Blue Jays really value in pitchers is durability. It is just hard to forecast reliever durability, reliever performance going forward. Like relievers can fall off a map season to season, which is why I am so, so hesitant to make like multi-year commitments to relief pitchers, regardless of how good they were the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I, I hear that. And I think that it's, yeah, I mean, you, you can't argue with it, really. Like, of all the places to spend money in baseball, relief pitching is probably the least efficient, really. Right. Um, multi-year deals for established relievers, like, that's probably the least, if, you know, compared to, like, obviously, the draft or spending on the front office or spending on uh, your facilities and infrastructure or spending on starting pitching or spending on, you know, your, your coaching staff. Those are way more efficient ways or places to spend than spending on established relievers. But okay, here's a couple of things with, with Hendricks, just to keep in mind, or, or you know, top-end relief broadly. And that could include Kirby Yates or Trevor Rosenthal. They're different pitchers, of course, beyond just Hand and Hendricks. But if you consider yourself a playoff team, as the Blue Jays do, you do need to have some answers in the playoffs, and you do need to have some really good relief pitchers in the playoffs. Um, Blake Trinan, another one, comes to mind because, of course, he was very good for the Dodgers this year. So, you know, and right now you look at their bullpen. All right, it's Jordan Romano and Rafael Dolis. And Romano coming off on, you know, an injury at the end of last season. I don't know how much, like, you do need to add to that group in some way. And so as long as you're in that market, you do have to explore the top end, I think. And in the case of Hendricks, he's someone whose wife is from Montreal. He's not American. He's Australian, as, I mean, as you know. And so he doesn't have that attachment to the U.S. He's not averse to Canada in the way that some players might be. He's already been here. So at a certain point, like, I think he would take their money at a certain point. Oh, yeah. um, so that's a good thing. But I agree with your broader point that if, if you've got, let's say it's $40 million to spend, I'd rather give that to Masahiro Tanaka than Hendricks. And... 
I really hope that the Blue Jays give Liam Hendrick all, Hendricks all the money in the world because he is great from our perspective. Like he's awesome yeah. with the media. He's like fantastic to talk to. I really enjoyed covering him when he was here. As you mentioned, his wife's Canadian. He loves Canada. Like, you know, and he like, he just, he adds a really great flavor to, you know, covering the team. Yeah. And so I, like, <laughs> I really do hope that he becomes a Toronto Blue Jay. But it's thinking about it, you know, completely from a team perspective, the front office perspective and a budgetary perspective. Um, look, if we're like, if we're talking about a Blake Trinan deal, like one year, yeah. you know, eight to 12 million, fine. Oh, like, in a second. Like, let's go. Yeah, right? that's easy. yeah. Sign me up. Now, if we're talking three to four years, uh, 30 to 40 million dollars, right? Based like, on what he's done. Yeah, he deserves that. But like, geez, I'd be nervous, um, you know, if I was the Blue Jays. Like, I, and, I agree, right? And the Blue Jays could have had Brad Hand for one year, ten million dollars on waivers. I'd say they should have claimed him, right? Like any team in baseball could have had him. Like looking back at that, it's almost shocking that like not even the Dodgers took him, right? Like that nobody like said, yeah, I'll take a year, ten million on this like really effective reliever, the surprise guy on, on waivers. So I, I, I wonder if something's up there, but like, how can you kind of square the Blue Jays not taking Brad Hand for one year, $10 million, but then going out into the relief market and committing, you know, multiple years at far more money to somebody else. I just think at that point in the off season, and even now you hear through back channels, like the teams have not finalized their budget. So they're telling agents that they don't know how much they can spend. And this is December. The Blue Jays, yeah have gone through that process and they've had those meetings with ownership at Rogers and that process ended in November. But I think if you go back to late October when hand appeared on waivers, teams were just behind on that stuff. Now I still think, you know, at a certain point you just kind of do the common sense test and all right, he's still a good pitcher and we need good pitchers. And so I do think there's an opportunity missed there for some major league teams, but you know, we'll see where it leads. I do, I, I do agree. I mean, if the blue Jays could only spend on one area, then you totally ignore relief pitching. But the reality is they actually do have the ability to spend on multiple areas. Sure. And I kind of wonder if they think there's some just some bargains to be had. There could there. be eventually. You know, yeah. I wonder if that's kind of if that's part of it. Is that like look, there's you know, a ton of relievers were non-tendered. Like there's a there's that's just a lot of supply in that market. And look, like if if the last few seasons of Blue Jays baseball have taught us anything, it's that like they they're very good at identifying pitchers, identifying talent, and finding value on the relief market. Like they've done it again and again. And it's shown us that. The Blue Jays have the right staff in place to get the most out of those individuals. Pete Walker, right. and Matt Bushman, and the whole crew, right? Like they, you know, they can find the talent and they can coach it up and they can make it, you know, really, really effective in the major leagues. So, you know, it's probably best to trust that the Blue Jays know what they're doing with the relief market here. But it is interesting to see them just kind of looking to splash a bit of money around there. They haven't done that too much. Yeah, it would be a little step change to go from, you know, your AJ Coles or your you know, David Ardsma's back a few years ago to yeah. signing, you know, the top reliever or, and even just the willingness to go there, the willingness to consider that is an interesting development. Let's talk Vlad Jr. Because we probably haven't talked enough about Vlad Jr. this offseason. He is playing in real, actual, literal baseball games in the Dominican Republic. He is playing winter ball. It's kind of funny to see some of the names they're playing winter ball this year. Like Wander Franco is on Vlad's team. Fernando Rodney is pitching on that team. Like uh Gary Sanchez is playing winter yeah. ball. Like there's some really like there's yeah, uh, I think Robles is playing. Like there's some like cool names out there playing playing winter ball in the Dominican yeah. right now. But we we should talk about, you know, 
the weight loss and the improved conditioning for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Because we haven't talked about that just yet. Everybody is aware by now. Vlad has been working out pretty hard and, and he's trimmed down and you look at the video from the Dominican league games and it's a definitely a different body composition than we saw during the 2020 season might even actually be improved from what he was at the beginning of spring training back in like the before times, you know, when he had like trimmed down quite a bit. What does this mean? What can we expect? Is is this going to solve all the problems that aren't even really problems because he's an above average hitter at the big league level at 21? Like, what, what do you think about all this? It's interesting. I mean, I think, first of all, with the conditioning, that's the biggest thing out of all of this is just to see that he has improved his conditioning. He's put in that work, um, which obviously is substantial and the results are there. So that's, that's great. Of course, this is a couple months into a process that the Blue Jays hope will last him throughout his entire career. So there's a lot more work to come on that front as there is for every professional athlete who's trying to stay at the top of their game. So, you know, this is, this is a good sign for Vladdy. The, challenge of playing third base is a, is a big one considering that he certainly didn't master that position in 2019 and then he didn't play it in 2020. So I, I think it, it creates a lot of interesting questions for the Jays. Like how much improvement will he show? How much does he have to show? What's the ideal breakdown of his uh, position, uh, you know, shares of third versus first versus DH going forward. I, I guess at this point, they just kind of see how he looks in winter ball and go from there. Yeah, I think your second point is the one I want to talk about. And that is that this is about his career. Like this isn't about 2021. Like this is about his entire career. Like this is about longevity, you know, like any physical gains that he makes now, like any body composition improvements, it's about lessening injury risk and increasing his chances of playing productively well into his 30s and you know taking the field more often and needing fewer rest days and fewer dh days you know he's obviously like an insanely talented hitter but you can't use that talent if you're not on the field so like this can't be just a short-term thing like this can't just be like a winter of hard work like this has to be a multi-year lifestyle change you know like a commitment to his career because he has to keep this work up you know during the regular season when he's playing games regularly he has to keep the work up if he gets injured like if he takes a pitch off of his hand and he can't hold a weight he's got to find other ways to train and to to make those improvements and make gains you know if he like tweaks his knee and he you know can't like to you know bear a heavy squat load for a while he's got to find ways to work his his lower half you know like this is going to have to be a part of his life going forward because like if he plays closer to his potential in 2021 and he you know is closer to the guy that we saw in the minors offensively and he isn't just like an above average MLB hitter but like a really good even elite MLB hitter like I think it you know a lot of people will attribute that entirely to the body comp but you know I just think it'll have a lot more to do with two years of experience at the big league level understanding how pitchers are attacking him understanding where there's holes in his swing a bit more maturity, a bit better preparation, like a better plate approach, less chasing, like just a better plan at the plate. Like, I think that'll have as much to do with it. And I think all those gains were going to be natural considering the fact that he's 21, right? Like he is the same age as Austin Martin. Like, I think they were born the same week, you know, yeah. like he, so he is so, so, so young and he was at the majors at such a young age. And yes, obviously the Juan Sotos and Raul Acuna's of this world have shown that like at 19, you could be really, really good in the big leagues. Those guys are the exception. 
You know, those guys aren't the rule. The vast majority of 19-year-old ballplayers can't step into a major league environment and be elite, you know? So, like, that is a really high bar that we are measuring him against. And he's not even that far from it as an above-average MLB hitter. But I just think that there were going to be gains made this season regardless of his weight. It certainly helps that he is going to be better conditioned. And, like, I think it's going to be great for his longevity but, you know, I, I just I think it is more about the totality of his career than it is just about 2021. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think that no question Vlad Jr. is a big long term part of what this franchise hopes to accomplish. And so they are going to need him to be in the best shape that he can be for a long time and not just for a couple months. So I, I think you're absolutely right to to point that out. And then, you know, even from a position player standpoint now, like, it's not like they need him to be their third baseman. And my sense is that he's going to have to play his way back to that position. You know, like if, if he's making gold glove plays over there and he did make a, an error in his first game for Escajito the other night, but of course, small sample, you're not going to judge a player off one game, good or bad. If he shows himself to be a lot better there, I think that's great. I still don't think that that would make the Blue Jays say, oh, well, I guess we're out on, you know, Justin Turner and DJ LeMahieu and and these other infielders, <laughs> yeah. right? Like I think that he's more likely to be someone who plays the occasional game there. Someone needs a rest day. Someone's on the IL. You shuffle things around for a couple of weeks. Great, Vladdy can be a part of that solution. But and he wants to, based on all the quotes that I've seen, and this, these are through translation. But based on all the quotes that I've seen, Vladdy seems like he really wants to play uh, third base again. He says the first base wasn't as comfortable for him as you would expect, and that he would like to return to third, which is great. You love to see that ambition and that hope from a player, but it doesn't mean that the Blue Jays are going to give that to him for anything more than occasional time. Yeah, the most realistic scenario is that he could, you know, play third once or twice a week. Like, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is your everyday third baseman. is just completely unrealistic, I, agree. I think. And but it like it so it puts the Blue Jays in a bit of a tough spot because if that's what's motivating him right now, and it sounds like it is like the Blue Jays have to want to encourage that, but they also need outs to be made at the major league level. Like this isn't a developmental year in 2021. Like this is a hey, we got to get back to the playoffs and try to win around this time and advance and push this thing forward. So you need capable defense at third base. Blue Jays defense was not good enough in 2020 it, you know among the the worst in baseball and having Vladimir Guerrero Jr. play third base every day isn't going to be improving it like regardless of his weight like he he absolutely needed to be in better shape to play that position and so that, it's a good start right it's a good step in that direction but it takes skills and it take you know you need to he still needs to work on his reads and work on his first step and his reactions, his muscle memory, and his instincts. Like, it's not like you just, you know, get in much better shape and all of a sudden you're a good defender at third. Like, a lot more goes into it. We know Vlad's got a great arm, right? And and that arm is wasted at first base. And we know that, you know, that he's got good hands and, and good feet. But, I mean, it's, it's you know, there's there was a lot of work going into his play at third base in 2019 when he was in better shape. Not Probably not in as good shape as he is now, but certainly much better shape than he was in 2020. And he played third base regularly that season, 2019. And he was objectively the worst defensive third baseman in baseball by outs above average. The worst. And even if he made a really, really big gain in terms of just pure outs above average, and even if he made like a Raphael Devers-esque jump in terms of that stat, 
he still would have been well below major league average. And the Blue Jays just need outs made at that position. So like, look, if you can have him go over there and play once a week, twice a week, great. To open up the DH spot or like get Rowdy Tellez in at first, somebody else is DHing or Tellez is DHing and you can have somebody else playing first, like great. Like that just gives you more versatility, more flexibility. It makes Charlie Montoyo's job easier. It lets you put out the best lineup possible. But I just don't think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to be playing third base every day, probably at any point in his career. If he does, he will have earned it. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to, right? Like, he'll have, in all likelihood, at least in spring training, he'll get the chance to play some third base. And then if that goes well, maybe he's a part of that equation going forward. He plays a little bit. And if he looks really good, like, if, if he actually shows himself to be, and this would, this would be a really big transformation, but if he actually shows himself to go from well below average first baseman, which he was this year, to somehow becoming above average third baseman, so really, really big ask. But if he were to do that, then the Blue Jays would respond by playing him at third base. I mean, that's yeah. pretty simple. If they think that he is their best defender there, they will play him there. Right now, they do not believe that, and nor should they, because Vlad Jr. has only shown himself to be a well below average defender at any point that we've seen him in the major leagues, whether it's first or whether it's third. And so I think that deserves to be considered within the context of his age and of the expectations and of the other challenges that he's faced. So I'm not trying to hammer the guy for it, but he has not been a good defender. And so going forward, if that changes, which it could, he's 21, you know, yeah. as, as we say, as we often say, right? Like things change a lot from the time you're 21 to the time you're 25 or 30 or whatever, whatever it is. And that's true for major league players as well as, you know, podcast hosts or podcast listeners. So Vlad Jr. is not set in stone as being a below-average defensive player. But all the information we have right now tells us that that's what he is right now. Yeah, maybe I'm being a little, a little harsh. I should leave more you know, room to be surprised. Look, it would be a f- phenomenal story if uh, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Like all of a sudden was a, you know, even like major league average yeah. defender at third base, honestly. Like it would be an amazing story. Yep. It would be like huge improvement. It would show huge work and dedication and commitment. And it would be... A, big boon for the Toronto Blue Jays. Hey, for now, we just get to watch him play in, in Dominican League games, which is kind of cool. I promise you the Blue Jays have a very close eye on that and probably have like a very close like thumb on how often he's playing and you know how many innings he's playing and how often he's playing third base. Like I'm sure they have a lot of control over how this is playing out. I wonder. Uh, I, I, I'm sure they would like so? to. I, I'm, I'm sure, sure they, they would like to. I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I'm not, I'm not being like coy here. I honestly don't know. I think they've made probably some pretty strong recommendations, yeah. at least. There's yeah. some pretty strong suggestions. And I, so I heard, uh, I think Dave Jouse is his manager. He was on Writer's Block with uh, Blair and uh, Brunt the other day. Like him and Charlie Montoya will go back to expose days. Oh, I, nice. I assume, whatever, they know each other. So, you know, I'm sure Charlie could. That's good. You know, <laughs> kind of ask some favors. Let's wrap up here talking about minor league baseball, which is undergoing like quite a transformation right now uh, quite a culling of, of minor league teams you know some some organizations some redistribution I, I need a better word than that but you know teams are, are being shuffled around and the blue jays have had a little bit of shuffle no more lansing lug nuts no more bluefield blue jays you now have the dunedin blue jays actually as their quote-unquote low team although it's full season and then you have vancouver canadians at high a and then you've got the new Hampshire fish cats at double a buffalo bisons at triple a 
And there was some expectation that the Vancouver Canadians wouldn't be a part of the Blue Jays organization anymore. Susan Slusser was reporting this um, and that out in, in Oakland, the Vancouver Canadians were actually going to be an Oakland Athletics affiliate. And it seems something changed. And I think there's a very interesting story to be told there someday about how perhaps ownership got involved, perhaps government got involved, something changed there. And because if you just look at it from a purely like baseball ops player development standpoint, as the Toronto Blue Jays on the East Coast, you've got Buffalo very close, New Hampshire pretty close. Dunedin is, you know, not super close to Toronto, but your player development complex is down there. So it makes total sense to be there. And then way out on the other side of the, of the continent, like multiple time zones away, you have your high A club. Like it's not, it's not the way you draw it up. Like it's not ideal from a developmental standpoint. Because like players go up and down between low A and high A all the time, between high A and double A, right? Like sometimes you just need somebody to start. You need some innings. You know, that these franchises are going to have 130 plus games to, to fill. So, you know, you're going to have players shuttling back and forth. And now instead of that, like shuttling being, you know, Lansing, Michigan, which is like, you know, close enough to, to Buffalo or to New Hampshire or what, what have you, it's now going to be like getting on a plane and going across the country, not just for players, but for your developers as well. And for your coordinators and for people who are, you know, going in to kind of help these players. Like if you had uh, like Tim Raines or whoever your coordinator right. is, and he's based out of Dunedin and it's like, all right, you're going to go make a stop at all the affiliates. You know, you can get between Lansing, Buffalo, New Hampshire, a lot easier than you can between like New Hampshire, Buffalo, Vancouver. <laughs> so, and think about it from the Oakland perspective, the Oakland A's now have an affiliate in Lansing, Michigan, yeah. like 3000 miles away. So yeah. something, something changed here. I doubt we'll ever get like a, you know, a, on the record full accounting of it, but something changed in the way this shook out for the Blue Jays. Yeah, for sure. And at least with the Blue Jays, I mean, it's great. They get to keep their lone Canadian minor league team, stays with the lone Canadian major league team. That's awesome. You know, for for any listeners out in Vancouver, I'm sure that's really welcome news, right? To be able to have the Canadians be affiliated with the Blue Jays. I doubt that Oakland shares that same affinity with Lansing, <laughs> Michigan somehow. Um, so yeah, Oakland definitely came out on the on the short end of this one. For the Blue Jays, like it, like you said, it is kind of a mixed bag. I think that, you know, really big picture, it's really good. It's really good. And then once you get down to that kind of granular operational level, then it becomes a bit, you know, like you're saying with, you know, Pat Henkin, when he was in his previous role with the Blue Jays, before they let him go, he would go visit the various affiliates a couple times each year, check in with those players. So for whoever those roving evaluators or instructors are, whoever those player development people are behind the scenes, that process just became a little bit more complicated. And that's nothing that, you know, uh, a couple of you know travel bookings can't fix and it's a bit more time in the air and you just kind of live with that i mean you could look probably a bit players, more expensive probably more right. expensive yeah probably more more hassle for whoever's booking that i doubt it's mike shaw who's booking that travel but <laughs> someone is um there's more hassle there and even for the players too right they're they're going going to travel more i would think if you're based in vancouver you're just going to travel more and certainly if you're promoted from dunedin to vancouver it's a long flight right there. It's not going to happen quickly. Just part of it. It's just, you know, something that they'll have to deal with, I think, on a logistical level. But then you go beyond that big picture. I think it's pretty exciting. It's pretty cool that the Canadians stay affiliated with the Jays. Yeah, logistically and operationally, I think it'll be a bit of a pain in the ass for, yeah. you know, player development and baseball ops. But ju just Canadian baseball wise, it's tremendous, right? Yeah. And it's great that the, the 
the Blue Jays maintain that connection to the West Coast of the country, where obviously there are like a ton of Blue Jays fans. And I think it's actually great from the perspective of young Blue Jays players getting exposed to Canada and getting exposed to the atmosphere in Vancouver because Vancouver Canadians baseball is like one of the best atmospheres in the minor leagues full stop when they've got like five, 6,000 people like packing out in that Bailey stadium. And like you talk to minor leaguers, I've talked to guys who've been through Vancouver and they're like, you know, these are guys who've never pitched in front of, you know, anything bigger than high school crowds. Right. And you, you know, you play in Dunedin and you've got like 200 people and the average age is 702. Right. But in Vancouver, like they pack that place out and it is an awesome atmosphere and guys talk about being like really nervous. Right. And like feeling that that anxiety and that pressure, it's good to expose young players to that type of atmosphere. Now to have that as high A, first of all, it makes the transition from, you know, with Dunedin being low A, now you go basically just from like working out at the complex to low A being in Dunedin. Like that's just a lot smoother. And I really think that, you know, going forward, you're going to see a lot more of kind of like an academy style training system for really recently drafted guys from fresh guys to the organization. Like, you know, like your Austin Martin, like Austin Martin's not going to go from, Vanderbilt University, where he's got this massive multi-million dollar, you know, baseball facility to train and, and work out and get better to, hey, you're going to Bluefield, where you know, the stadium was built in the Second World War or whatever, right? <laughs> like, you, like, it's just not going to happen. You're going to work yeah. out at the player development complex, and then we'll, we'll move you to Dunedin. And then you go to Vancouver, where you get exposed to this great atmosphere, you get exposed to Canada, which for a lot of like young players who have never left the United States, maybe from the southern United States, not that familiar with the country, it's important to be exposed to just Canada and what life is like. You're like exposed to a metropolitan city, which like you hope someday you're going to be playing in Toronto with like a lot of the same things that you're going to experience in Vancouver. And I like can tell you for a fact that, uh, you know, a lot of the sort of 19, 20, 21 year old men who go to play in Vancouver really enjoy their time in Vancouver <laughs> and really like everything that there is to experience and to, to do on the field and off there. So I think that it is like good developmentally to have Vancouver as like the high A stop for a lot of like the prime talent coming up through the organization as much of a sort of pain in the ass as it's going to be that it's, you know, 3,000 miles away or whatever, I think it's a, you know, there, there are definitely benefits developmentally as well. Totally. Yeah, definitely a good chance for those players to get exposed to some of those different things. And so I've never seen a game at Nat Bailey Stadium. I would love to. And it sounds like from here on, there will be many more chances because they're going to play instead of starting in late, when would a short season start? Like late June, early July after the draft, something like yeah. that, right? Like a really, really short season. And then now it'll start, like they'll play 130 games, something like that, start in May, um, potentially early May, and really have a full season of baseball out there. So that's great. I will say that it sucks that there will be no more short season ball. Like it sucks that there will be less minor league baseball oh, yeah. in general. You know, I don't think it's necessarily good for the game, but you know, I, I understand the organizational perspective where they're saying like our resources are like just spread out super thin. And like, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, you know, like I was saying, to take a a top prospect and send them to, you know, sort of substandard facility, you know, somewhere in a town where like the only reason to ever go to that town is the minor league baseball team, right? Like, and to, you know, to, you know, have them working out in like, you know, not great weight rooms and not have the right resources or great nutrition and all that stuff. Like the Blue Jays just want to have a much kind of, and not every MLB organization just wants to have like a much kind of tighter 
grip on the development of of young players so yeah that's that's part of the reason for this so like you understand it from their perspective they're also going to save a bunch of money because a lot of jobs are being lost with with a bunch of teams no longer being affiliated you know we we saw pretty big cuts to a lot of player development staffs across baseball because they you don't have to fill as many coaching staffs and you don't need as many coordinators as who once did so you know it's bittersweet i guess is is what we would say yeah and i, I think like the overall purpose of the minor leagues has totally changed because they originated as an entertainment vessel for people to you know do something there's no netflix there's no tv you know you just you need to go out and do something so you watch a minor league baseball game and it was way less about player development and now it's way more about player development and so everything about the minor leagues is changing that means there are very real casualties along the way and it sucks to lose uh, Lansing as well. And if you've ever gone and seen a game at Lansing, like it's a great stadium, you know, cool little city, su- super close to Toronto. So it's kind of easy to go down there. I would go down there, uh, you know, I don't know, a couple times a season and like catch up with, you know, prospects and stuff. I know Shy would stop in there when, whenever, you know, if you're like covering, you know, a Tigers series, like you might as well go go check it out. It sucks to lose Jesse Goldberg Strassler as a resource. It does. As well, the, the Lance Lugnuts broadcaster and uh, media coordinator. I don't know what the official title is, but like this is, you know, guy who just like passion unmatched for Blue Jays prospects and, and the Meyer Leagues and, and Lansing Baseball and, and the Lugnuts organization. Super, super helpful to me anytime that I was stopping in to, to write about somebody and like, you know, you could just run literally any player's name in the Blue Jays organized like minor league system by Jesse and Jesse would have like some unbelievable story about the kid that like he is recalling from memory and yeah. telling with really <laughs> yeah. articulately in like a really interesting and compelling way. So we're wishing Jesse all the best with the Oakland A's organization. For sure. All right, that's it for us this week. That's Ben Nicholson-Smith. I'm Arden Zwelling. Our producers are Kristen Ryan and Mike Tassoni. I want to thank you for listening. Talk to you next time on At The Letters.